the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We know from scriptures that God has given Jesus ultimate authority over all nations. And now he's telling us that if you are faithful and you don't follow the way of Jezebel, what he's saying is that one day you will reign with him. You don't need to fear death. You don't need to fear cancer. You don't need to fear sorrow. You don't need to fear eternity. You don't need to fear provision. You do not need to fear the rulers and the kingdoms of this world because one day when Jesus Christ returns, you will rule with him forever and ever and ever and ever. That's what that says. Good evening. I'm Kyle Welch, and welcome to Lift Up Jesus with Pastor Dudley. We are here every night at this time on KKLA to share the good news of Jesus Christ and to lift up His name to the entire city of Los Angeles. No matter if you are listening tonight from your car or at home or in your place of work, we believe that tonight's sermon from Pastor Dudley will be a blessing to all our listeners. So if you can, get out your Bibles and let's join Pastor Dudley right now with tonight's message. Hey, I want you to take a look at the cover of your bulletin, if you would. We're in a series uh, on the seven churches of Revelation. And each week as you come to church, there's another number that gets highlighted as we move our way across uh, the page. And this book, the book of Revelation, is addressed to the seven churches of Asia Minor. It's modern-day Turkey. We've already looked at Ephesus, and then we went up the coast and looked at the church at Smyrna. Today we're going to go southeast. We're going to go to the right and kind of go down a little bit to a church called Thyatira. Everybody say Thyatira. That's what we're going to look at today. There are many people who believe, and and you're going to have to decide for yourself, that these seven letters written to these seven churches, that not only was it a letter written to the church at Ephesus, and we know that there's always points of application for shepherd, our church, the church throughout the ages. But there are those who believe that these seven messages are prophetic in nature and that they address certain issues during certain periods of time over the course of church history. And uh, there are those who believe that when John wrote these letters, that each of the letters was written to one of the seven churches, but each also fit into a time period Uh, for the church. For example, Ephesus, if you look at the first one, this is the church that they had forsaken their first love. They haven't been around very long. Uh, The church, uh, at the turn of the first century, they had already forgotten uh, the most important thing, which was to love the Lord God. And that was the time period between uh, 30 AD, when the church began, and 100 AD. And then you have the church at Smyrna, which is the crushed church. And we know that from AD 100 to AD 300, that the church more than any other period was persecuted under Rome. Today's message, the letter written to the church at Thyatira, I want you to write this down, 
goes from the, uh, the time period from the year 500 A.D. to about 1500 A.D. And so you're going to have to decide for yourself because you, you do know that the book of Revelation is prophetic in nature, that there are parts of Revelation that have yet to even be fulfilled as of today, that a lot of it talks about when Jesus Christ returns and we know he has not returned yet. So the entire book is prophetic. So with that in mind, take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 2. That, that really wasn't much of the sermon, but I just thought I'd give that to you free. Amen. <laughs> amen, amen. Revelation chapter 2. Thyatira was situated in a little valley between two valleys. It was on a road that led up to Pergamum, the capital city. There really, it really wasn't a fortified city. If anyone ever attacked Pergamum, the capital from the southeast, they would have to go through Thyatira. Uh, they would defeat Thyatira because there wasn't much. There was a Roman garrison that was stationed there, but it was pretty much there just to slow the people down until they got to the capital city. The people in that city were basically blue-collar workers. There were carpenters and sellers of goods and tanners and weavers and, and tent makers. They had a lot of union. They had unionized, and so all the tent makers had unionized, and and uh, the, the uh, weavers had unionized, the carpenters had unionized. Many of the trades, the tanners, the weavers, the tent makers, the seller of goods, uh, many of these unions had, had connected and grouped with a particular pagan god so that if you as a Christian lived in the day and age of Thyatira and you belonged to the Christian church, you had to make a living but you were working in a union that was connected to a pagan god, that puts you in a very difficult situation. I hope you can understand that. Now, there are three points to this sermon. The first one is this, and that is a picture of Christ. In each of the seven churches, if you've been paying attention, every church, Jesus Christ reveals himself in in a unique way. For example, in the church at Ephesus, we read that he was uh, the one who sees all. He said, I know your deeds. The church at Smyrna, if you remember, Jesus Christ revealed himself as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who died and the one who rose again. Here in Thyatira, church number four, we'll see that he reveals himself as something else. Look at verse 18. It says to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write these words. These are the words, and he reveals himself, as the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing what? Fire, and whose feet are made of what? Bronze or brass. And so in your notes, write this down. Each of those things stand for something. He first calls himself the Son of God. This is the only place in the entire book of Revelation that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of God, that he's the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of the living God. His title, his name is Jesus. And then the blazing fire stands for the fact that his eyes are penetrating, that he can even see the motive of your heart. And the feet of bronze, it has to do with his judgment. So in this text, we see that he's the son of God, that he has eyes of blazing fire, and that one day he's going to judge. 
Now, with that in mind, okay, we're going to do something just for fun. How many of you like to do stuff for fun? Just for fun. I want you to take your Bibles and turn back to Psalm chapter 2. Okay, we'll come back to Revelation chapter 2. But turn to Psalm chapter 2. Now, pay very careful attention to verse number 9 because verse number 9 is actually quoted word for word in Revelation chapter 2. You say, why are we reading this? Well, because this verse is quoted word for word. We'll get to it in Revelation chapter 2. Psalm 2 verse 9 says, you will rule them. Rule who? Jesus will one day rule the nations with an iron scepter, which means it's not made of stick or wood. It's going to la- your kingdom is going to last forever. And you will dash all these other nations, these kingdoms. Uh, you will smash them. You will dash them like you drop a piece of pottery and the pottery just breaks into all these pieces. You see that? Look at verse 9 again. You'll rule them with an iron scepter and you will dash them to pieces like pottery. Don't forget that sentence. Therefore, you kings, since this is God, you better be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. All you people running these countries, you better serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. If you want to kiss something, you better kiss Jesus. Or he will be angry and you will be destroyed in your way for his wrath. Don't miss this point. His wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all you who take refuge in him. You see, I believe that Revelation 2 is an echo of Psalm chapter 2. I believe that Revelation 2 is a reminder of Psalm chapter 2. I believe that Revelation chapter 2 is just, uh, it's like, hey, you all remember when you studied Old Testament scriptures and I said all this in Psalm chapter 2? You need to be reminded again here in Revelation chapter 2, just like we need to be reminded today of this truth that although nations will come and go, although kingdoms will come and go, although governments will come and go, I just want to remind you, and this is all verse 18, I just want to remind you of something that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God, that he is still on the throne and he's the one that sees all and knows all and understands all. And if you don't, if you don't address what I'm about to tell you, you need to know I have feet of bronze. I'm going to drop my judgment upon you. Then we go to point number two of this sermon. Write this down. There's a problem in this church There are some good things. It's a wonderful church on one hand. Everybody say wonderful. He says in verse 19, I know your deeds. I know know what's going on there. And then he says, you've got love. Now remember the church at Ephesus, that was the one thing they didn't have. They'd forsaken their first love. Remember that? That's not what he says about Thyatira. He says, you guys know how to love. And you have faith and you have service. You know what service means? That means they had a lot of volunteers in that church. Let's hear it for the volunteers. Oh, this church had love, it had faith, it had volunteers, it had perseverance. And this next little line, it's a very, I, I don't see this about any other church in the whole Bible. It says, you're doing more now than you did at first. In other words, it's a growing church. In other words, you jumped in, you got your feet wet, you were doing a pretty good job, but as time gone by, you're actually doing now more for God than you were at first. What possibly could God be so upset about that he's got to remind them that his eyes are blazing fire and he's got feet of bronze? Why would he use that analogy for such a wonderful church? Well, the next verse answers that question. 
Because it says in verse 20, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. She's not a prophetess. She she just self-appointed herself a prophetess. But her teaching, she misleads my other church members into sexual immorality as well as the eating of food that has been sacrificed to idols. Verse 21, I I gave her time to repent, and you need to know this. Anytime that God, you know, uh, gets upset, he gives us time to repent. He wants you to repent. Learn that. He doesn't take pleasure in bringing judgment. He gives us time to repent, but he says in verse 21, I've given this woman time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So verse 22, I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her, they will suffer intensely unless they repent. You see, even when he brings the judgment, he's hoping that you'll repent of of their ways. Verse 23, I will strike her children dead. Uh, Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each according to what he has done. So write this down. Although this was a wonderful church in many ways, it was also a wicked church for two reasons. Oh, you've got to learn both reasons. The first reason it's a wicked church was because of the teachings of Jezebel. This woman called Jezebel was misleading the people of God. You see, it just takes one person to corrupt the entire church in Thyatira. It's like an apple with one worm inside of it. The church looked good on the outside, but inside it was rotten because of sexual immorality. Now, there's a lot in this that I need to just kind of just explain a bunch of little things, and you can kind of put it all together. Jezebel, we believe in the book of Revelation, is not, there wasn't a particular person named Jezebel in the New Testament. We believe this spoke, it was a symbolic name, and that it spoke of a nature or a character that existed in that day and in that church. We do know in the Old Testament there was a woman named Jezebel, and that when Jesus spoke of Jezebel in the New Testament, that perhaps he was reminding them of Jezebel in the Old Testament. Jezebel in the Old Testament, the Bible says that she spent the first half of the day putting on her war paint, and the second half of the day actually on the war path. She was a daughter of a pagan king. She persecuted God's children. She hated Elijah. She killed Naboth. She brought in 450 false prophets into Israel. She was married to to the wicked king Ahab. She was a missionary for the false god Baal. And Israel in the Old Testament fell prey to her teaching, to her spirit of idolatry, her false teachings, her immorality. Jezebel was a very clever woman. She was a very dangerous woman. She imported heathenism into Israel. She did not come out flat out against the Jehovah God. She did a very enticing thing. She mixed the altar of Baal, the false god, with the altar of Jehovah, the true God. She mixed the false god with the true God. 
If you remember, it was Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18 up on Mount Carmel when he did battle against the 450 false prophets. He asked this question, how long will you waver between two opinions? In other words, they cannot both be true. If the Lord God is true, then follow God. If Baal is God, then follow Baal. But you can't serve both. That's the Jezebel in the Old Testament. Now, if you come back to the New Testament here in the book of Revelation, this woman known as Jezebel, whether she was an individual or just the spirit of Jezebel, she was a prophetess. She was self-appointed. In other words, she was talking on behalf of God, but God had not yet appointed her to be a prophet. And she was misleading the church into sexual immorality. I don't think it takes a rocket scientist for you to see today that the spirit of Jezebel is alive and well in America today. We are being bombarded like we've never been bombarded before with sexual immorality. The internet, pornography, movies, and books like Fifty Shades of Grey, romance novels and billboards and social media, the whole world, Hollywood, uh, the culture, everything and everyone is trying to convince us that sexual immorality is okay. It's the new normal. It's, it's don't worry about it. But the real problem, the thing that got the Lord upset is not just the teaching of Jezebel. Write this down. Here's what made the Lord upset. It was the tolerance for Jezebel in the church. He says in verse 20, nevertheless, he's speaking to the church. Church, church, I hold this against you, church. You are tolerating this woman and the teachings of Jezebel. Oh, I hope you're paying attention right now. Those who follow the teachings of Jezebel uh, will one day be punished, but this message is not to the Jezebels of the world. This teaching is to the church. It's a warning to the church that those of you that tolerate and allow the teachings of Jezebel will one day be punished as well. Listen, there, there will... There will always be sexual immorality, always. There will always be those who promote sexual immorality as normal. But woe to the church that tolerates and promotes sexual immorality. There is something wrong when the church of Jesus Christ legitimizes sexual immorality. There's something wrong when the church hides and protects a priest who has abused children and they simply take the priest and put him in another parish so he can abuse another child. There's something wrong with that, is there not? There's something wrong when the leaders of the church and the preachers of the church will not stand for biblical marriage, a union between a man and a woman. Where are the voices in our pulpits in America today? Why do we turn a blind eye to the millions who are being enslaved to pornography today? Why are we not raising our voices in unison to fight against those involved in human trafficking today? Don't you see? Don't you see that God's desire is for His church, His people, 
to be pure, to be holy, and not to tolerate the sexual immorality of the world. That's in the world, but don't let it seep into the church. That's what he's saying here. He goes on to say in verse 24, don't fall for Satan's secrets. Satan has these schemes where he gets his hooks into you. And once he puts his hooks into you, you begin to twist Scripture. We begin to twist Scripture and churches and leaders and politicians and just normal people. We, we twist the Scriptures and we go, oh, you know, everyone else is doing this and this is the way God made me and I know the Bible says this, but I kinda, I'm a self-appointed prophetess. I'm a self-appointed prophet. Let me tell you what I think and, and uh, I know that's God's Word, but this is me and this is what I believe. Listen, that's exactly the spirit of Jezebel. And when the Bible talks about sexual morality in this particular text, uh, and the spirit of Jezebel, and, and we tie this in also to the eating this, this meat, that, this food that had been sacrificed to idols, spiritual, spiritual adultery is when you're not being faithful to the one true God. Spiritual adultery is when you're not being faithful to the one true gospel. And the one true God and the one true gospel says that we're saved by grace, not by works. You don't get to go to heaven if you do a bunch of good deeds. You get to go to heaven because Jesus Christ died on that cross when you didn't deserve it. And the gospel has nothing to do with whether or not you eat food or you don't eat food that's been sacrificed to a particular pagan god. You're saved by whether or not you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now hear me out. Once you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will live your life here on this earth every day wanting to just honor him because of what he's done for you. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul says in Acts chapter 20, I know after I leave that savage wolves will come in among you and they will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and they will begin to distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So he says, be on your guard. And that's exactly what happened in the church. The spirit of Jezebel came upon that church. And there were people in the church who wanted to be politically correct. We don't want to make anybody mad. We don't want to offend anybody. So we just let everybody come and anybody can do whatever they want. That's not the gospel. Grace is not a license for you to come out and commit any sin you want to commit. Grace is when God sent Jesus to die in your place. You wake up every day thankful for what he did. And you live your life a holy and pure life because you know that would bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And I do want to get to some good news, okay? Everybody say good news. Point number three, there are a couple of promises made to those of you who overcome. There are a couple of promises that are made to those of you who overcome. I want you to look again at your Bibles in verse 26. It says, to him who overcomes, to those of you who do not give in to the teachings of Jezebel, to those of you who do my will to the very end, I'm going to give you authority over what? Over the nations. And then, verse 27, he quotes that verse back there in Psalm chapter 2. He says in verse 27, he will rule them with an iron scepter. 
He will dash them to pieces like pottery. See, it's word for word. Just as I have received authority from my Father, he said. You, what in the world is he talking about? We'll go back up to verse 26 one more time. You've got to get the context of this. To him who overcomes, to those of you who do not go the way of Jezebel, those of you who do my will to the very end, he's going to give you the authority over the nations. What does that mean? We know from scriptures that God has given Jesus ultimate authority over all nations. And now he's telling us that if you are faithful and you don't follow the way of Jezebel, what he's saying is that one day you will reign with him, which means, therefore, we have absolutely nothing in this world that we need to fear. You don't need to fear death. You don't need to fear cancer. You don't need to fear sorrow. You don't need to fear eternity. You don't need to fear provision. You don't need to fear the government. You don't need to fear Jezebel. You do not need to fear the rulers and the kingdoms of this world because one day when Jesus Christ returns, you will rule with him forever and ever and ever and ever. That's what that says. If you were moved by Pastor Dudley's message tonight, we want you to know we have phone counselors standing by and ready to pray with you right now. Our number is simple to dial. It's 888-818-4777. Again, that number is 888-818-4777. We are ready for any prayer requests or needs you may have. I'm Kyle Welch, inviting you to join us every weeknight at the same time here on KKLA as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley. Pastor Dudley.